0: Section 66 of Lay Down Your Arms. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Lay Down Your Arms by Bertha von Suttner, translated by Timothy Holmes. Chapter 16, Part 1. New Year's Day, 1867. The Luxembourg. Question: Disputes between France and Prussia, arbitration. The alarm blows over. We visit Paris. Plan of Napoleon III for general disarmament. Frederick's efforts in the cause of peace. The protocol of peace. A little daughter is born to us. Renewed happiness. Frederick's studies. Monsieur de Moulins' proposals. Return to Paris and re-entry into the gay world. Talk of the Revanche de Sadova. Pressure of the war party on Napoleon III. Whirl of gaiety. We seek repose in Switzerland. Illness of my little daughter. Return to Paris in March 1870. Napoleon III drops his plan of disarmament under the pressure of the war party. Still peace seems assured. The New Year, 67. "'We kept the Sylvester night quite alone, my Frederick and I. When it struck twelve—' "'Do you recollect?' I asked with a sigh, the speech my poor father made in proposing a toast last year at the same hour. "'I do not dare to wish you good fortune now. The future sometimes hides something so unexpectedly terrible in its bosom, and no wish has ever availed to turn it aside.' Then let us use the turn of the year, Marta, as an occasion not for thinking of what is coming, but for looking back into the year which has just flown by. What sufferings you have had to endure, my poor, brave wife. So many of your dear ones buried, and those days of horror on the battlefields in Bohemia. I do not grieve that I have seen the cruel things that took place there. Now I can at least participate with all the might of my soul in your efforts. We must bring up your... Rather hour, Rudolph, with a view of his pushing these efforts further, in his time a visible mark will perhaps arise above the horizon. Hardly in hours. What a noise the people are making in the streets! They are greeting with shouts the new year, in spite of the sufferings which the old one, that was greeted in the same way, brought on them. Oh, how forgetful men are! "'Do not chide them too much for their forgetfulness, Frederick. "'We, too, are beginning to brush away from our memory "'the sufferings of the past, "'and what I feel is the bliss of the present, "'the bliss of having you, my own one. "'We were not to speak of the future, I know. "'Still I think that the future we have before us is good. "'United, loving, sufficient in ourselves, rich, "'how many exquisite enjoyments cannot life still offer us. "'We will travel, we'll make acquaintance with the world, "'the world that is so fair.' Fair so long as peace prevails, and peace may now last for many, many years. But if war is to break out again, you are no longer involved in it, and Rudolf too is not threatened, since he is not going to be a soldier. But if, according to Minister to be Sure's information, every man should be obliged to share in the defense? Oh, nonsense! So what I mean is we will travel, we will bring up our Rudolf to be a pattern man, we will follow our noble aim, the propaganda of peace, and we— we will love each other the carnival this same year brought with it once more balls and pleasures of all sorts but my mourning kept me away from all such things but what astonished me was that the whole of society did not abstain from such mad goings-on surely there must have been a loss in almost every family but as it seemed folks set all that at naught a few houses, it's true, remained closed, especially among the aristocracy, but there was no want of opportunities for the young people to dance, and the most favoured partners were, of course, those who'd come back from the battlefields of Italy and Bohemia, and the naval officers were those most fated, especially those who had fought at Lisa. Half the lady world had fallen in love with Tegethoff, the youthful admiral, as they had done with the handsome general Gablentz after the campaign of Schleswig-Holstein. and lisa were the two trump cards which were everywhere played in any conversation about the war which was over along with this the needle gun and landwehr came in two institutions which must be introduced as speedily as possible and then future victories were assured to us victories when and over whom On this point, people did not speak out, but the idea of revenge, which is wont to accompany the loss of a game, even if it be only a game at cards, was hovering over all the utterances of the politicians. If even we did not ourselves take the field once more against the Prussians, perhaps there might be others who would take it on themselves to avenge us. All appearances seemed to show that France would get into a quarrel with our conquerors, and then they might get paid off for a good deal— the thing had even got a name in diplomatic circles, la Revanche de Sadoa. Such was the triumphant announcement to us of minister, to be sure. It was at the beginning of spring that once more a certain black spot appeared on the horizon, a question, as they call it. The news also of French preparations provided the conjectural politicians with what they love so, the prospect of war. The question this time was called that of Luxembourg. Luxembourg. What was there, then, of such great importance to the world in that? On this subject I had again to embark in studies similar to those about Schleswig-Holstein. The name was indeed familiar to me only from Supé's Jolly Companions, in which, as is well known, a Count of Luxembourg spends all he has in dress, dress, dress. The result of my studies was as follows. Luxembourg belonged, according to the treaties of 1814 and 1816, ah. There we have it. Treaties. They contain ready-made the root of a national quarrel, a fine institution, these treaties, to the King of the Netherlands, and at the same time to the German Bund. Prussia had the right to garrison the capital. Now, however, as Prussia had renounced her share in the old Bund, how could she keep the right of garrison? That was the point, the question. The Peace of Prague had in fact introduced a new system into Germany, and thereby the connection with Luxembourg had been dissolved why then did the prussians maintain their right of garrison to be sure that was an intricate affair and the most advantageous and righteous way of settling it would be to slaughter fresh hundreds of thousands that every enlightened politician must allow The Dutch had never attached any importance to the possession of the Grand Duchy. The king also, William III, attached no importance to it, and would have been happy to cede it to France for a sum to be paid into his privy purse. So private negotiations now commenced between the king and the French cabinet. Exactly, secrecy is always the essence of all diplomacy. The peoples are not to know anything of the matters in dispute. As soon as the latter are ripe for decision, they have the right to bleed for them. Why and wherefore they are fighting each other is a question of no importance. It was not till the end of March that the King made the official announcement, and on the same day as that on which his assent was telegraphed to France, the Prussian ambassador at The Hague was informed of it. On that began negotiations with Prussia. The latter appealed to the guarantees of the treaties of 1859, the foundations on which the Kingdom of Holland stood. Public opinion in Prussia what is meant by public opinion, possibly the writers of leading articles, was indignant that the old German Reichland should be torn away, and in the Reichstag of North Germany, on April 1st, there were heated questions on the subject. Bismarck, it is true, remained cool about Luxembourg, but nevertheless he set on foot preparations against France on this occasion, and they, of course, were followed by counter-preparations on the French side. Ah, how well I know that tune! at that time i trembled sorely for fear of a new fire being lighted in europe no want of people to poke it in paris cassignac and emile de girardin in berlin mensel and heinrich leo have then such provokers of war even the remotest notion of the gigantic enormity of their transgression I hardly think so. It was at this time, as I first heard the tale many years after, that Professor Simpson used the following expression in the presence of the Crown Prince Frederick of Prussia about the question in dispute Quote, If France and Holland have already come to an agreement, that signifies war. Unquote. To which the Crown Prince, in hot excitement and alarm, replied, "'You have never seen war. If you had seen it, you would not pronounce the word so quietly. I have seen it, and I say to you that it is the highest duty, if it be anyhow possible, to avoid it.' And this time it was avoided. A conference met at London, which on May 11th led to the wished for peaceable solution. Luxembourg was declared neutral, and Prussia drew her troops out. The Friends of Peace breathed again, but there were plenty of people who were discontented at this turn of affairs.' Not the emperor of the French, he wished for peace, but the French war party. In Germany, too, there were voices raised to condemn the behavior of Prussia, sacrifice of a fortress, submission looking like fear, and other things of the kind. But every private person, also, who on the sentence of a court gives up his claim to any possessions shows the same submission. Would it be better for him not to bow to any tribunal, but to settle the matter with his fists?' the result achieved by the conference of london may in such doubtful questions be always achieved and the leaders of states can always find that avoidance possible which frederick the noble afterwards frederick third called the highest duty end of section sixty six read by sandra